Hello there, this is Tony calling again and talking to you from the dark, lonely, northeast Texas Piney Woods area. This week, let's talk about some buried treasure in the Texas Hill Country. A man in soiled clothes quickly throws another shovelful of dirt over his shoulder. His face glistening with the sheen of sweat, he works faster and faster, listening all the while for distant hoofbeats. He can't let anyone see him. He has something to hide there. Texas has more buried treasure than any other state, with 229 sites within the state's borders. The total value? Well, it's estimated that as far as buried treasure, there's $340 million out there. And much of this treasure lies under the rugged oaks and rocky landscapes of the Texas Hill Country. There are many stories behind this area, some that have been told for generations, and many that may remain secret, taken to the grave by the original treasure owners. The search for buried hill country treasure begins at its edge, in the community of Round Rock. Here, an outlaw by the name of Sam Bass hid from the law until a final shootout with the Texas Rangers on July 19th of 1878. Bass was in Round Rock making plans for a bank robbery. But before he died, however, many say that he had much of the loot from his train staged bank robbery somewhere in the area. One of the most common tales is of a loot hid in an old tree by an outlaw. That outlaw is being Sam Bass. The legend began several years after Bass's death, when maps leading to the alleged treasure appeared. The location was said to be in a hollow tree on what was now Sam Bass Road roughly about two miles west of Round Rock. A tree similar to the one described on the map was spotted by treasure hunters and chopped down, only to come up, of course, empty. Optimistic treasure hunters still wonder, could earlier treasure searchers have chopped down the wrong tree? The Sam Bass legends are not the only treasure field stories flying around Williamson County. One treasure story dates back to an ancient Spanish document regarding an old Spanish mine located somewhere near Burnett. According to an Austin American story in the early 1900s, a pack train of burros carrying 40 jackloads of silver was pursued by a band of Comanche Indians, and the men in charge of the pack train buried the silver near where the town of Linder is now located. Well, no one's found the Spanish silver cachet, but some treasure seekers in this area have struck gold or gemstones, as the case may be. In the year of 1925, W.E. Snavely of Taylor, who had hunted treasure for 60 years, found a ruby arrowhead weighed 15 carats along with many other gemstones. Heading west back into the heart of the hill country lie a number of treasure sites. Longhorn Caverns, 
Outside Burnett is said to be the home of more than one treasure trove. One tale involves who else but Sam Bass, who allegedly used the cavern as a hideout following nearby robberies. Today, the main opening of the cave is called the Sam Bass Entrance. No Bass treasure has been found to this date, but even today, parts of the 11-mile cavern are still being explored. Another Longhorn Cavern tale involves the search for treasure supposedly buried on Woods Ranch near Burnett. After years of searching, one of the treasure hunters went to seek the advice of a palmist whose cryptic recommendation was to dig under the footprint. There was a speculation that the footprint might be a foot-shaped compression on the ceiling of one of the Longhorn Cavern's room. The crew dug below this formation only to find a container-shaped hole be below the surface where there had once been a metal container and possibly a treasure. There was only a rust-lined hole. Moving west to Yano, we're once again on the trail of Sam Bass. Allegedly, the robber had canvas sacks marked U.S. and filled with gold in a cave on Pack Saddle Mountain. Some say the treasure was found by a Mexican laborer hired by a local rancher to cut fence posts on Pack Saddle Mountain. According to one version of the story, the rancher went to look for the laborer when he failed to return to the ranch. All the rancher found was a cave and a piece of canvas sack with U.S. imprinted on it. Another version of the story says the gold still lies hidden somewhere in the mountain. Pack Saddle Mountain is also the home of Blanco Mine named for a Spaniard who found the location long, long ago. According to J. Frank Doby's book, Coronado's Children, the mine was rediscovered in the 1800s by the Yano settler named Larry Moore. While hunting, Larry Moore discovered the old mine with its contents of lead and a high percentage of silver. In 1860, Larry Moore took a last trip to the mine with a man named Jim Rowland. The two men hauled out several hundred pounds of metal, shaping it into bullets. Larry Moore was leaving the country, declared that he would hide in the mine so will that no other person would have to find, ever find it. Supposedly, he diverted a gully directly into the mine filling it with silt. Roland carved his initials on a large stone marked the entrance to the mine, then covered it with earth, where it remains to this day. Yano County is home of other buried treasure sites, including 60,000 in gold and silver coins buried by Sam Bass near the community of Castell in the western part of the county. Bass buried the loot on a creek bed, marked the spot with a rock in the fork of a tree. The Trail of Sam Bass continues to near the state's capital, where he allegedly buried $30,000 in the community of McNeil. No treasure was ever recovered, and today there is little remaining of the original McNeil, located in the northern part of Travis County near Round Rock. The biggest treasure of all, some say $3 million worth, is said to be buried in Austin. According to one source, this money part of the Mexican payroll in 1836 was stolen by the paymaster, a general, and seven privates. The men took the loot near 
where Shoal Creek empties into the Colorado. Greed set in, however, two of the privates murdered their co-conspirators. Before long, one of the privates had killed the other. The remaining outlaw returned to Mexico, then found he had uh, been able, unable to come to Texas again. He made a map of the site showing that it was buried five in the ground close to an oak tree with two eagle wings carved on it. Another source claims that the treasure was nowhere close to three million, actually only about 80,000 in gold coins. The story changes. Instead of the Mexican payroll, it substitutes Confederate money in the hands of soldiers who were afraid the capital would be overrun toward the end of the Civil War. According to the Rising Star record, May 12, 1927, the treasure was purloined by workers on April 13th of 1927. Working on the banks of the Shoal Creek, a crew of eight men worked on a 40-foot tunnel for over eight months. When questioned, they replied that they were working on the foundation for a new bridge and later the foundation of a fine house. A guard was kept on the tunnel at night. On the night of April 13th, a box lifted from the square cut chamber between us for the next day, the workmen were gone and the blasting has ceased. Curious throngs soon found the dark tunnel and with lights discovered traces of the large wooden box that had been laid beneath the dirt for more than 60 years. The treasure was definitely gone. The Shoal Creek treasure may be gone, but plenty of others lie beneath the surface of the hill country. With permission from private landowners, anyone is free to take a pick and a shovel, and like generations have done in the past, search for the gold. Well, this is a little story about hidden treasures in the hill country of Texas. We'll see you again. This is Tony. Hi, this is Tony. Talk to you from the dark piney woods of Northeast Texas. The other day I was watching a movie called Geronimo with uh, Wes Studi, who played Geronimo. It'll be uh, kind of fun to talk about seven uh, things you may not know about Geronimo. The origins of his name are disputed. The man who would become the most feared Indian leader of the 19th century was born sometime in the 1820s into the Benincohe, the smallest band of the Chiroquois Apache tribe that inherited and inhabited what is now New Mexico and Arizona. His given name was Goyhokla, the one who yawns. But as a young man, he earned the moniker Geronimo after distinguishing himself in Apache raids against the Mexicans. The source of the name remains the subject of debate, though. Some historians believe it arose from frightened Mexican soldiers invoking the Catholic Saint Jerome when facing the warrior in battle, while others argue that it was simply a Mexican nickname or a mispronunciation of Coicla. Fact number two, Geronimo's wife and children were murdered when he was a young man. Geronimo came at the age during a period of bitter conflict between the Chiroquois 
Apaches and the Mexicans. In response to the Apaches' penchant for staging raids to gather horses and provisions, the Mexican government had begun ambushing Apache settlements and offering lucrative bounties for their scalps. In 1851, while Geronimo and several other warriors were in the town of Janus on a trading mission, Colonel Jose Maria Carrasco and a detachment of around 400 Mexican soldiers ransacked his Bendeconoy encampment and slaughtered many of its inhabitants. When Geronimo returned later that night, he found that his mother, his wife, and his three young children all had been murdered. I had lost all, he said in his autobiography. Following the massacre, Geronimo swore vengeance against Mexico and led a series of bloody raids on his soldiers and settlements. I have killed many Mexicans, he wrote later. I do not know how many. Some of them were not worth counting. Fact number three. He broke out of U.S. Indian reservations on three different occasions. In the 1840s and 50s, the Mexican-American War and the Gadsden Purchase placed the Chiriquai Apache's domain within the boundaries of the expanding United States. Geronimo and the Apaches violently resisted the influx of white settlers. But following several years of war with the U.S. Army, they reluctantly negotiated by a peace. By 1876, most of the Chiriquai had been shipped to San Carlos, an arid and inhospitable reservation located in Arizona. Geronimo avoided the reservation until 1877, when he was captured by Indian agents and brought to San Carlos in chains. He tried his hands at farming, but like many of the Chiriquois, he longed for the freedom of the frontier. Geronimo and his allies would eventually stage three escapes from the reservation between 1878 and 1885. Each time the renegades fled south and disappeared into the mountains, only resurfacing to conduct marauding expeditions on both sides of the U.S.-Mexican border. During his second breakout in 1882, Geronimo even staged a daring raid on the Apache Reservation and forced several hundred Chiriquois to join his band, <clears throat> some of them at gunpoint. By the time of his final breakout in 1884, Geronimo had earned an unparalleled reputation for cunning and stories of his ruthless, both real and imagined, were front page news across the United States. Fact number four. Geronimo's followers credited him with supernatural powers. While he often exerted considerable influence over the Apaches, Geronimo was never a tribal chief. Among the Chiriquois, he was better known for his skills as a shaman or medicine man. Those who followed Geronimo credited him with a variety of supernatural powers, including the ability to heal the sick, slow time, avoid bullets, bring on rainstorms, and even witness events over great distances. In one incident, described by Apache Jason Betesedes, a few warriors were sitting around a campfire during a raiding expedition when Geronimo suddenly had a premonition that the U.S. troops had attacked their base camp. After arriving at the site several days later, they found that Geronimo's vision had been correct. The Americans had already captured the encampment. I cannot explain it to this day, Betesedes wrote later, but I was there and I saw it. Fact number five. 
Nearly a quarter of the U.S. Army took part in the final hunt for Geronimo. On May 17 of 1885, Geronimo and some 135 Apache men, women and children took flight from their reservations for the final time. The famed warrior was then in his 60s, but he remained as determined as ever, often pushing his group to cover as much as 70 miles per day to avoid the American cavalry and Apache scouts on their trail. Over the next several months, Geronimo's fugitives raided countless Mexican and American settlements, killing several citizens and civilians. They nearly surrendered on March of 1886, but the Geronimo and 40 followers renegade on the agreement at the or reneged on the agreement at the last minute and escaped under the cover of darkness. Soon the Indians were being pursued by 5,000 U.S. soldiers. Nearly a quarter of the standing army, as well as some 3,000 Mexicans, could not find him. Geronimo was able uh, to elude both forces for over five months. But by August, um, he had, uh, his followers had grown weary of life and uh, gave himself up to General Nelson Miles at the Skeleton Canyon. Arizona is now laying down his arms, or he was now laying down his arms. He became the last Indian leader to formally surrender to the United States military. Number six, he spent the last 23 years of his life as a prisoner of war. Following their surrender, Geronimo and the Chiroquois, including the Apache Army Scouts that had helped catch him, were condemned to manual labor at army camps in Florida. The Indians were later moved to Mount Vernon Barracks, Alabama, and then Fort Seal, Oklahoma. But despite their repeated pleas for a reservation in the West, they remained prisoners of war for the rest of their rest of Geronimo's life. As the years passed, Geronimo busied himself with farming and cashed in on his growing celebrity by selling autographs and peddling wa- walking sticks, bows, and other items to American tourists. His captors also granted him permission to appear in occasional world fairs and Wild West shows, where he was often billed as the Apache Terror and the Tiger of the Human Race. Fact number seven, Geronimo participated in Theodore Roosevelt's presidential inauguration. Geronimo's most famous public appearance came on March 4th of 1905, when he took part in the President Theodore Roosevelt's inaugural parade in the Washington, D.C. area. Flanked by five other Indian leaders, the elderly warrior rode a pony down Pennsylvania Avenue, eliciting cries of hooray for Geronimo from the spectators that were watching. Five days later, the Indians got a chance to speak to Roosevelt in person at the White House. Geronimo, still a prisoner of war, took the opportunity to plead with the president to send the Chiroquois back to their native lands in the West. I pray you to cut the ropes and make me free, he said. By then, nearly 20 years had passed since Geronimo's surrender, but Roosevelt turned down the request out of fear that war would once again break out if the Apaches returned home. The federal government wouldn't free the chair quotes until 1913, four years after Geronimo's 1909 death from pneumonia. Uh, some fun facts about Geronimo and uh, his life. Thanks for listening.